With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. It has been one heck of a dramatic week in China news. Several experts are warning that Beijing could be on the brink of severing its diplomatic ties with one particular EU member state. The Asian giant's birth rate has sunk to its lowest level in four decades. Meanwhile, Washington has blacklisted several more Chinese companies in its latest round of sanctions. With all the biggest developments, here's what's been happening in China over the past seven days. And we start our roundup with some disturbing news involving attacks on Chinese nationals in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Two Chinese nationals have been killed, and several more are missing after an attack in the Central African nation. According to media reports, the latest incident took place at a mining site in Ituri province, and 10 Chinese citizens are held hostage in exchange for ransom. Citing an army spokesperson, Reuters reports that the incident has been blamed on the militia from the Cooperative for the Development of the Congo. Mere days before the attack, the DRC witnessed a separate kidnapping of five Chinese nationals by what have been described as unknown gunmen. In reaction to the violent incidents, the Chinese foreign ministry and the Chinese embassy in the DRC have urged the Congolese authorities to verify the situation as soon as possible while ensuring the safety of Chinese citizens there. Now, turning from the DRC to Lithuania, Chinese experts have warned that China could completely sever diplomatic ties with the European country if it continues to, quote-unquote, act arbitrarily on the Taiwan issue. In November, the foreign ministry announced that China's decision to downgrade its diplomatic ties with the Baltic nation to the chargé d'affaires level after, quote, the political foundation for an ambassadorial-level diplomatic relationship has been damaged by Lithuania, end quote. The move was in response to Lithuania allowing the Taiwan authorities to set up a representative office using the island's name, Taiwan. The office opened in mid-November. Such offices usually use the name Taipei. Some have speculated that by downgrading the bilateral relations to the chargé d'affaires level, Beijing may be sending a warning to the world not to challenge its bottom line on the Taiwan issue. Fun fact, 
This actually marks the second time that the People's Republic of China has reduced bilateral diplomatic relations to such a low level. In 1981, ties with the Netherlands were set to the same level after the country approved the sale of a submarine to Taiwan. The two countries resumed full diplomatic ties three years later after the Netherlands promised not to approve further sales of arms to the island. It's also not been the smoothest of weeks for China-U.S. relations. That's after the U.S. government added several Chinese chipmakers and quantum firms to a Commerce Department blacklist alleging they were a threat to its national security or foreign policy interests. According to the U.S. Commerce Department, eight Chinese firms were listed to prevent U.S. technologies from being used for China's quantum computing efforts. The same statement says that such technologies could aid the Chinese military in developing counter-stealth and counter-submarine applications, as well as the ability to break encryption or develop unbreakable encryption. Being on the entity list effectively deprives the firms from obtaining U.S. materials and equipment, such as semiconductors, thus slowing China's progress in the field. In October, the U.S. National Counterintelligence and Security Center launched a campaign to warn U.S. companies in the artificial intelligence, bioeconomy, autonomous systems, quantum, and semiconductor sectors on so-called nation-state threats, notably posed by China and Russia. In big business news, China's internet industry regulator has ordered the cloud units of Alibaba and Baidu to step up efforts in preventing online and telecommunication fraud. The regulator said the two cloud platforms were allowing access to a large number of scam websites and ordered them to fulfill their responsibilities to network and information security. The talks were held by the IT Ministry's Cybersecurity Bureau and the country's Public Security Bureau. According to an official notice, both companies were told to take corrective measures in accordance with the cybersecurity law or risk facing severe punishments. It added that firms agreed to further strengthen the management of website access, domain name registration, and information services. The news comes as China has been ramping up efforts to crack down on cyber crimes. Last October, a national campaign was launched to clean up criminal syndicates and eliminate SIM and bank cards used for fraudulent purposes. Another tech giant making the headlines is Meituan. That's after the food delivery titan reported its biggest loss since 2018. Meituan's net loss in the third quarter grew to almost 10 billion yuan after the company incurred a 3.44 billion yuan fine for violating antitrust rules. According to Bloomberg, that represents the company's steepest loss since the third quarter of 2018. Meituan's business performance appears to have been dented by a variety of factors. These include being hit with the hefty fine for monopolistic behavior, as well as grappling with rising competition from rivals such as Alibaba. There's been some striking news on SenseTime and its upcoming IPO. The company said cyberspace authorities have not required it to undergo a cybersecurity review ahead of its public listing on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. In its prospectus, SenseTime said that it had not been involved in any investigation on cybersecurity review by the relevant regulatory authorities or had received any inquiry, notice, warning, or sanctions in such respect. 
SenseTime is China's largest AI company by revenue. The news comes after Beijing made clear that listings outside the Chinese mainland are now subject to heightened scrutiny to see if they were exporting data that could affect national security. In November, China's cyberspace watchdog proposed new rules that would codify such reviews of mainland firms seeking to list in Hong Kong. Also making the news this week is the announcement that China's birth rate fell to its lowest point in 2020 in more than 40 years. Data from the National Bureau of Statistics shows that the domestic birth rate stood at 8.52 per 1,000 people in 2020, down from 10.41 in 2019. That's the first time the figure has dropped below 10 since 1978. The data were revealed as China is grappling with a shrinking labor force and rapidly aging population, major challenges for its future economic growth. In May, the country announced a major policy shift to allow all couples to have three children. Some of the main reasons Chinese couples are choosing to have fewer children are related to the high cost of child-rearing and education, as well as the potential negative impact on women's career prospects. Although the gender gap is shrinking in China's workplaces, experts have said that women still carry most of the burden of housework and childcare and face significant challenges in balancing their work and family life. Let's turn out at Caixin Global Financial News reporter Tang Ziyi for a deeper dive into a story for the week. Ziyi, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Kaiser. Thanks for having me. All right. I understand you've been working on an in-depth report on how China is opening up its markets to foreign financial firms and about the challenges that those firms are facing. So how about we start with the recent progress in opening up? Sure. Um, so over the past three years, China has given foreign institutions uh, unprecedented access to its capital markets. And a notable measure is that the Chinese government removed barriers to foreign ownership and finally started to give the green light in 2020 for foreign institutions to operate wholly owned companies on the Chinese mainland for a range of financial services. And um, that uh, includes services like, um, say, mutual fund management, life insurance, and securities, and futures broking. So um, that policy has attracted a wave of companies uh, such as uh, JP Morgan, BlackRock, and Fidelity to set up their wholly owned securities forms or mutual fund management companies. And I, I should add that uh, regulators have also um, made it easier for foreign institutions to invest in onshore markets through uh, long-standing initiatives such as the QFI scheme. Right, qualified foreign institutional investors. So uh, the opening up measures uh, have uh, led to a surge in yuan-denominated financial assets in onshore markets held by foreign uh, investors. This official data showed that the value of their holdings surpassed 10 trillion yuan for the first time in May. And that's actually almost double of what the figure was two years ago. 
So what is the outlet for those foreign firms in China? After all, it's one thing to open the door, but quite another for foreign firms to actually grow their markets. Yes. Yeah, so um, I think even though the Chinese market is a big cake that is appealing to many foreign financial institutions, those companies still face a bunch of challenges to grow their businesses in the market. So um, China's parental style of regulation is a challenge for many overseas companies uh, involved uh, in the financial sector. Uh, like, uh, for example, uh, some compliant licensed financial institutions are also required to register or get approval for every new product they want to launch. So um, this way of regulation has arguably reduced efficiency and also um, slowed down their expansion in the Chinese market. And um, the regulatory uncertainty is uh, another concern for many foreign institutions. So, um, we know uh, this year China's uh, wide-ranging regulatory tightening on uh, internet platform companies and the education industry, uh, as well as uh, energy conservation and carbon reduction policies, have uh, unnerved investors and hurt the country's stock market as well. So um, foreign investors, they really want a stable business environment and consistent regulatory policies. And also uh, China's unique market environment and characteristics are difficult for many foreign institutions to get to grip with. They also lack the depth and breadth of relationships their domestic rivals enjoy and which are essential for companies involved in businesses, say, uh, like uh, investment banking activities. And, and have these challenges shaken the confidence of the foreign players? And, and do you have any examples of how these companies are responding to the difficulties? Um, I think many foreign financial companies are optimistic and pre- prepared to dig in for the long haul to win market share and develop their businesses uh, in spite of all these challenges. So um, Fidelity International, uh, for example, has obtained a wholly owned mutual fund license and hopes to launch its uh, first mutual fund uh, sometime in 2022. So uh, Rajiv Mito, uh, Fidelity International's managing director for Asia-Pacific, uh, excluding Japan, uh, told us in a recent interview that the company wants to uh, work with banks and securities companies to expand distribution channels for its product. And uh, he also said online sales channels, uh, such as uh, the online platforms of uh, Ant Group and Tencent, are being increasingly important. And Fidelity has uh, built a small team to better understand online distribution channels as well. Okay, thanks, Z, for joining us. Thanks, Kaiser. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. 
The Taishin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata, with stories from the staff of Taishin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Taishin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. If you want to listen to our extensive back catalog of podcasts or check out more of Taishin Global's great journalism, then download our app or head online to TaishinGlobal.com. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access or the daily newsletter. Find us at SubChina.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care.